are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday afternoon, everybody. Lance, back from your church retreat. How's it going, my man? It's going really well, Noah. The uh, The Oaks retreat was absolutely fantastic. Met a lot of new people. Got to talk to a lot of different churches. It was just a great experience overall. I'm glad to be back, though. Glad to be back in the studio. Dylan Lark behind the board with us today producing the show. Dylan, how are you doing today, my man? Doing all right. There you go. It's a nice hat, man. It's a nice yeah. Cincinnati Bearcats hat. That's dope. Go Cincy. Should have been the playoffs last year. Could be in it this year. You know, I'll be real. If only earlier in your internship, Dylan, you had worn the Cincinnati hat. Because then you would have been intern Bearcat, which sounds that actually awesome. sounds dope. But instead, you wore a Star Wars hat, and I had to call you intern Star Wars. Is that my official nickname now? That's been your official nickname. Uh, we didn't use it all the time. Uh, but he sounds disappointing. I vote for Bearcat. Dylan, if it's, it's okay. too late now. We can't make you honorary member Bearcat. We've got to save that for someone else. I mean, who else has it a, can be I your legacy? I have a Cincy franchise on NCAA 14. Oh. Look, I already know who our next intern's going to be. His name's Brady. He'll be here start of the semester in August, like August 16th or something like that, whatever it is. I really should know that. But he'll be here around that time. And we will find out if this guy likes Cincinnati. And if he says yes, he will be intern Bearcat. There you go, man. There it's you your go. legacy, Dylan. It's your legacy. It's your, it's your legacy, 100%. But Auburn basketball learned its home and away designations for the 2022 SEC basketball schedule. we got a lot of other stuff planned on the show today, all joking aside. We're going to talk a little Auburn basketball here with you. We'll also get into our preseason depth chart analysis series. We said that we would be breaking that down. Remember back in the spring, we did a spring depth chart series, and we said we would fast forward and do this again. Dude, it's been it's been like two weeks since then. I know, right? Wow. Really two months, actually. It Maybe even like... longer. It does feel like two weeks. But Man. preseason depth chart analysis series. We'll be taking a look at quarterbacks here today among a bunch of other things going on on today's show. So make sure you stay tuned in for the full two hours here on On the Line, 2 to 4 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, we are taking your calls all day long, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. And coming up at 2.30, we'll have Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us as well for a good conversation about the latest going on with Auburn football, Auburn basketball, NBA draft us tomorrow. We've got some fun sound bites from Jay Billis. He had a teleconference recently, and he talked about Sharif Cooper and JT Thor. We've got a great Wednesday show for you guys today. Let's start off with Auburn basketball learning its home and away designations for the 2022 SEC basketball schedule. Lance, I'm sure you've gotten a look at it yet. Of course, we don't know the dates. We don't know the order in which these things occur. It's only in alphabetical order, home and away, but what's your impressions of it? Well, I, for, for starters, you know, I'm honestly so thankful that, uh, that we are playing Missouri 
uh, on the road because I feel like Auburn's had some great success there in the past few seasons. Uh, when you think about Jared Harper's takeover, I believe it was 2019, 2000, uh, 2017, I believe we also beat them there. Uh, but I believe we also lost in the SEC tournament game or tournament to them that year as well. But anyway, uh, glad we're playing them on the road. You look at their home opponents, though, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky. We get Kentucky at home this year. We don't have to play them on the road. That's nice. Uh, LSU, Ole Miss, South Carolina, A&M, Vanderbilt. Uh, we play Mississippi State on the road. We don't play them at home. Uh, let's see. We play Tennessee on the road. We don't play them at home. Uh, some interesting matchups here on the road. Auburn has to play Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Tennessee on the road, and they don't get any of those teams at home. Really excited about that Tennessee matchup. It'll be the the, uh, the Justin Powell Bowl. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how that game shakes out. It'll be interesting to see how much of an impact Justin Powell has in his sophomore season, if he's going to be coming off the bench for the Volunteers, or if he's going to be a starter and be that shooting guard. Is uh, who, who, is the, who is the kid that was their number 25? Who was the guy that was their shooting guard last season? And he he was uh, he was from overseas. Um, his name is slipping my mind right now, um, but he he might be their shooting guard. But yeah, some interesting matchups uh, there on the schedule. Would love to know the order that they're going to appear in because that'll definitely uh, influence the way that I would pick this season uh, just a little bit. It's an extremely balanced schedule. So and this sounds obvious what I'm about to say, but it's the truth, and we really don't know a whole lot about how this plays out down the line because we don't know in what order these teams will be revealed. It's either going to be a balanced schedule throughout or half of the schedule is going to be easy and half of the schedule is going to be tough. It's an extremely balanced lineup. And what I mean by that is you're extremely thankful. It's a great break. You're extremely thankful that you don't have to play Kentucky and LSU on the road. That makes a game against Kentucky where you know they're going to be talented. Are they going to be like they were last year? Are they going to bounce back? It doesn't matter whether they're good or bad. That is a tough road environment to walk into you're thankful that you don't have to play them on the road same thing for LSU you know they're going to be talented as it gets they recruit really well year in and year out that's a tough road environment because that's like a football environment in a basketball stadium in a basketball arena LSU is a really tough place to go on the road I think that's huge that Auburn gets them at home but then the balance side of this is you look at your road opponents well you have to go to Fayetteville which may be Besides Kentucky, and yes, Auburn rivals these environments because of its close, intimate setting. When Arkansas packs out in Fayetteville, when they pack out their arena, Arkansas with a good basketball team, that is one of the hardest places to play in all of college basketball. I will say it right now, a top 20 location to play in college basketball to play at. It's just so ruckus, rowdy, and they play that style of basketball that aggressive Pat Beverly defense style of basketball gets in your face. They're always super long. It's very hard to function offensively on the road at Arkansas. So that kind of offsets the fact that you got LSU and Kentucky at home. On top of that, you do have some other tough road environments in there. Tennessee's another one that offsets that. Tennessee and Arkansas on the road offsets Kentucky and LSU at home. But I'll say this. I think I would rather have, if I had to choose between those two groups, I like the way that it's lined out. I like the fact that Kentucky and LSU is at home a little bit more than I would if we had Arkansas and Tennessee at home. I would much rather have those two there than have to go to those environments at Arkansas and Tennessee. But there are, either way you cut it, this is a tough league, and all of these different programs are investing more and more into their, uh, are investing more and more into basketball. 
and that is increasing fan attendance. You see these arenas, they're a lot more lively. I think Mississippi State's a tough place to play. When the hump, and Mississippi State has a good basketball team, the hump can can get loud and rowdy. And it can be a tough place to play because there have been traditionally some Mississippi State teams that have played really well at home. That is going to be a tough road trip for Auburn. You don't get them at home, as you already mentioned. Missouri, as you pointed out, not a trip that Auburn has traditionally played well in. They have to go to them. They don't get them at home. I'm thankful that you get Vanderbilt at home. That's a place Auburn typically doesn't play well at. You get that at home. That's a big break for Auburn. So that kind of offsets the Mississippi State and the Missouri part of it. South Carolina, a tough place to play on the road just because of South Carolina's culture, because of South Carolina's personality. Frank Martin has instilled in the Gamecocks program a tough, hard-nosed mentality, and they're going to make you earn everything. And at home, you get some of those calls on the defensive side of the basketball. And it helps them be a solid home team defensively. It's a balanced schedule. I like it. I want to see. I hope it rolls out as balanced when they give these things some dates. Because I would much rather see a balanced schedule throughout than have one half of it be easy and one half of it be tough. Yeah, and something else I'll say about a couple of these uh, different road matchups. Uh, I really, you know, South Carolina's not not a, an incredibly difficult place to play. I mean, we saw Auburn score 109, I believe it was last season against the Gamecocks on the road. Um, but but as far as the the style of play that Frank uh, that uh, that uh, that that their their coach likes to play, it's very very physical. We saw what happened in that game when Anthony McElmore went down with an injury. I mean, they're just incredibly physical on the glass. They'll foul you. They'll put you at the free throw line, and that's a place where Bruce Pearl teams have struggled in the past is is getting to the line and actually knocking down those free throws. And they weren't very good at it last year. And so I think that's a really tough road environment for Auburn to go into against that style of play where they're just being uh, hacked at every in every which way. And so it'll be interesting to see how Auburn handle, handles that road matchup. But, but like you said, every single game in the SEC last season, and I believe it's the, going to be the same this season, is a tough out. It's really hard to win on the road in this league. So for Auburn, you can't look at a matchup like Missouri, like South Carolina, like Georgia, a team that's really struggling right now, you can't look at those matchups and say that those any of these games are guaranteed wins because it's going every single SEC game is going to be difficult. The and talent in the league has has vamped or ramped up tremendously over the last four or five years. One hundred percent, couldn't agree more. Let's move on now. A little bit of football talk here. If you want to go see those home and away designations, head over to RadioAlabamaSports.net. That'll be how you can go and check that out. Let's take a look at our preseason depth chart analysis quarterbacks Lance yes sir well let's kick it off should we start from the bottom or work work our way up to the top I think we should start at the top all right let's start at the top obviously uh Bo Nix uh, is is the top as far as as far as quarterbacks go Bo Nix you know he's kind of had his issues over the last two seasons as a starter he's not developed into that top tier echelon SEC quarterback he's just not gotten there yet and a lot of that had to do with scheme uh, but this season he could potentially be making a jump Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Mike Bobo tries to install in this new offense with him something that concerns me about Knicks and he, he he mentioned this a little bit at media days and he said it's going to allow him to be multiple but I still have my concerns is that you know this is his third offensive system in as many years and it's like 
you know, we're trying to develop this five-star kid coming out of high school. How much is coming into a third new system going to actually help him? He says he likes it. He says he likes being under center. He says it li- he likes the fact that this offense is multiple and that he understands a lot based on his previous two uh, systems that he's been in. But it's just a lot to digest when every single year it's something new. So be interesting to see how he handles that. I have a good response to that, though. Look no further than the namesake of your Twitter account, my friend. At Daw Pound, as in at Dog Pound, the Cleveland Browns, look no further than Baker Mayfield. He's had three different offensive coordinators in his first three seasons in the NFL, and this just happened to be the one that clicked with Kevin Stefanski in his third year. And Bo Nix has followed a similar trajectory, albeit in the college game, but I think that they're very similar. I don't think it matters that one was in college and one was in the pros. It's still adjusting to a different level of play, a different speed, a different place, different tendencies, all these different variables and I think you can definitely equate the two situations. Now, the question is, and you're spot on it right there, the question is, will Bo Nix click with Brian Harson and Mike Bobo? But of all of the previous coordinators that he's had, what, did he have Kenny Dillingham? Was that 2019? And then yes. Chad Morris and then Brian Harson. Which one of this of that group would you, Mike Bobo and Brian Harson compared with Chad Morse and Kenny Dillingham, which one of that group would you trust more to develop your quarterbacks? Probably taking Bobo based on what he's done in the SEC. And part of that may be a little bit of recency bias and the fact in hindsight's 2020, we got to see what happened with Chad Morris at Auburn, but we also got to see what happened with Chad Morris at Arkansas. And I'll be real, there's a podcast episode of this show from a year and a half ago when we were just doing this show once a weekend it was on Saturdays I said don't buy into the Chad Morris hype I said I'm not sure if this is going to work out between Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn and guess what it didn't get better it was about the same as it was in 2019 when Gus Malzahn was running the offense and you had Kenny Dillingham who really was just there to learn he he wasn't he, he didn't have that play caller role Uh, of course he was still labeled as offensive coordinator but he was still just he he wasn't calling plays in the in the scheme of the game and it was definitely Malzahn's offense to run at that time Malzahn gave up the reins to Chad Morris but things didn't get better the the next year of course we do have hindsight to look at here and that probably does affect our decision but based off of Brian Harson's track record with quarterbacks and Mike Bobo's track record with the quarterbacks, I like the things that I heard at SEC Media Days, and I think we will see improvement from Bo Nix just by being closer to the line of scrimmage and the technical aspects of his game that he mentioned back at Media Days. If you had to compare Bo Nix to, to a quarterback, is there a comparison that you can think of? Cause I, I could compare him to a lot of quarterbacks in college football right now. Right but now. In the past, if you want to talk about trajectory, look, people didn't like about... And we don't know if he's going to reach this level. We don't know if he's going to reach this level. So I don't want people to take this out of context and say, Noah Gardner said Bo Nix is as good as Jason Campbell. That's ridiculous. He has not shown he has not shown that yet. But people do have to – if you want me to tell you about patience, if you want me to tell you why you should pump the brakes maybe on writing the guy off, it took Jason Campbell three years to figure it out. Mm-hmm. It did. It took Jason Campbell a long time. And then he gets to his fourth year and he puts it all together. And what happens? Auburn has a special season, undefeated. And, and you remember that team is one of the greatest Auburn teams of all time. So I, if, if that's what you're asking for here, if you're trying to get me to, to link him to another Auburn quarterback that had a similar type of trajectory, I mean, there's, there's many quarterbacks out there who took several years to develop. I think another guy that you could take a look at that maybe isn't at Auburn, Kellen Mond took four years to really develop into an upstanding you know, top-tier quarterback in college football, enough to be a draft choice, right? Enough to be a day-two draft choice. 
So Kellen Mond's another example of me. He went seven and six. AM was average with him until this past year. And he had an outstanding year. What do you have? Like twenty nine touchdowns to three picks or something like that? It's pretty solid. Maybe I've gone way overboard on the touchdowns there, but I know he only had like three picks, which was the lowest of his career. So my thing is there are many examples of quarterbacks where it took them three or four years to finally get to that point where it just all clicked. And that may be the situation here with Bo Nix. Two are already in the books. He's going into his junior year. Maybe that is the situation. And I, and I think by this point, after this year, if you haven't seen him take a step forward, maybe then it is time to evaluate other options. And there are other options in the depth chart that we can get to now. Real quick, I just wanted to say I didn't have anybody specific in mind when I was asking you about a comp. I was just curious because I've been trying to think of a comp recently, and I can't think of a specific quarterback that Bonix has played like like very similar to. The only one I can kind of think of play style wise is Grayson McCall from uh, Coastal Carolina. Uh, I think they're very similar in the way that they play the game, but you know, uh, no, no, nobody in mind in particular. I think the next guy on the depth chart, I believe it's going to be TJ Finley. I think he's talented enough. I think he has enough experience in the SEC to get to that backup spot instead of being behind potentially uh, some other quarterbacks that we'll get to later on down the list. Something interesting to note right off the bat with Finley is that he's wearing number one. Uh, I don't remember the last time outside of Schwartz wearing one that we saw like a prominent figure wear number one for Auburn. You got somebody? Joey Gatewood. Joey Gatewood. But I mean like prominent, like somebody that was like consistently involved in the offense. Interesting to see if Finley will be able to be that guy, maybe not this season, but maybe a season or two down the line for Auburn. I also want to point out that Auburn's website, auburntigers.com, the official roster has him listed at 6'7", 246. Now I don't know if I believe it's that this man end. Yeah, I don't believe that this man is potentially 67 uh but but man, he is a he is a statue not a statue but in terms of like physical size, the man is a statue. Like he is a gigantic quarterback and he has the experience to potentially be something special if he gets a shot. I think he's raw. I think he's rawer than Bo Nix is at the moment. Bo Nix still has a lot of ways to improve. TJ Finley, I went back, watched some of his film and whatnot. Arguably his best game was against South Carolina. I went back and watched some of the highlights from that. Trying to see what he was successful on last year in that game. And, and of course, these were his good plays. Not a whole lot of difficult reads. Not a whole lot of instances where he had to just go through his progressions. Part of that was the fact that he was playing South Carolina. Part of it was they were having him do a lot of RPOs. I don't know how much RPOs are going to be a part of this offense. I think you're going to see some because it's filtered its way into all of college football, but I don't think it's going to be a main staple in this offense because that's not that's not the style that that's not the style that these coaches teach their quarterbacks. These coaches teach their quarterbacks to go through progression. So I was trying to watch TJ Finley and you can only get so much of that from watching this on a television broadcast rather than getting the all 22 film and whatnot so there's only so much that you can get but from watching tj finley when he's got time to throw there were a few instances once again it all comes down to to pass protection when he's got time to throw of course the guy's got a cannon i think he can fit the ball with his arm strength into pretty much any window on the field that he would need to what comes down to it is does he have the time to get the decision making right because if he doesn't then it's not going to work out. And I still think Auburn's offensive line is a work in progress. I think it's going to be much improved by the time that these guys get to SEC play, just by developing chemistry. Hopefully you avoid some injuries 
new scheme and whatnot. I think you see much improved pass blocking from this offensive line. But I still think T.J. Finley is a couple of years behind Bo Nix in terms of his development as a quarterback. I imagine it will be a lot easier for Bo Nix to pick up some of these new things that these coach that this coaching staff is trying to teach him than T.J. Finley. Right. He may not be impactful this season um, unless Bo Nix just implodes, which I don't see happening. Uh, he may not be impactful this season, but after Nix graduates, it, if he stays, it makes an interesting quarterback battle potentially between T.J. Finley, Holden Jariner, and Demetrius Davis if, if they're all still, still here. here. Yeah. yeah, so it, it definitely provides some interesting storylines down the line in the future. Um, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying he's great. I'm just interested to see what he how his career pans out. I'm assuming third string you have Demetrius Davis? I do. That's, that's as far deep as I went. Uh, people can say as much as they want. I went that seven deep. <laughs> the, the depth chart could say on paper that Grant Loy is third string. I don't know if I totally believe that because I think if Auburn gets to garbage time in a situation against Alabama State or against Akron or Georgia State or anybody that they're blowing out this year, now they may redshirt Demetrius Davis, so you may not see him play more than four games. But in four games this year, if there are that many blowouts for Auburn to where they can put a third stringer in and it's not T.J. Finley, if it gets to that point, and I think there's really only two games that probably you see Demetrius Davis probably touch the field because I think you do see T.J. Finley in some of that garbage time quicker than you see Demetrius Davis. So then you've got Akron and Alabama State's the only two that I think could be such a blowout that you could even get to the third stringers. That's where you see Demetrius Davis, not Grant Lloyd. They're not going to waste those reps. Yeah, I think when you look at what happened in the spring game and again it's really hard to glean a ton from the spring game but you look at the way that Davis looked not necessarily Loy but you look at the way that Davis looked out on the field and he seemed he's raw obviously as a freshman but he's got that talent he's got the talent to be uh, a pretty good dual threat quarterback in my mind you know I keep going back to and I don't know uh, if if Tommy Armstrong Jr. was a fantastic player I thought he was pretty decent but I think the comparison there between Tommy Armstrong Jr., former quarterback for Nebraska, and Demetrius Davis, I think that they're very similar in the way that they operate, the way that they move. They both wore the same number. They're both, I think, either not the same height. If they're not the same height, they're very similar in both their builds. Um, 6'1", 220, Tommy Armstrong. There you go. a lot taller for Tommy Armstrong than Demetrius Davis. Davis listed at 6 feet tall, 200 pounds. Really? Yes. Oh, I don't don't know if I buy that. I I would say that he's sitting at a solid 5'10". Let's see what Auburn's website says. But, yeah, I'm really excited to see Demetrius Davis as a prospect. I think he's going to have a little bit of time to develop. Yeah, Auburn's website has him him listed at 5'10". Ouch. May not even be okay. Apparently, if you're if you're listening at six seven, TJ Finley, I don't know if I believe that. Then that would mean that Demetrius Davis is barely sitting at five ten, if not a little bit shorter. If we're going off my metrics here, uh, based on whether or not I believe what the what the website says. But yeah, still though, incredibly talented, incredibly talented. Go back and watch this kid's vision in high school. He knew the cuts to make. He knew the decisions to make. Give this kid time. He will be a factor in the quarterback battle in the future. If he is still here, and like you said, if there is a situation, which there are only two games I believe that he could potentially step into the, that situation, if there's a situation where he gets on the field, I think he's going to impress some folks. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about Aaron Rodgers. Discount double check. Aaron Rodgers coming up. He had a press conference today, an honest press conference, if I may say so myself. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. 
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Dylan Lark behind the controls. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Got word from Zach Blackerby. He'll be joining us at 3.30 today. So stay tuned for that coming up later on in the show. Lance, you got some basketball news. Yeah, so I saw earlier uh, on on Instagram, it was officially announced that the bracket for Battle for Atlantis, the tournament that Auburn will be playing in during Thanksgiving break, has been announced. And Auburn will be playing UConn. And then on that same side of the bracket, Michigan State will be playing Loyola Chicago. And then on the other side of the bracket, Syracuse will be playing VCU. And then Baylor will be playing Arizona State. So Auburn will open that that tournament against UConn, which I think is going to be interesting. That's a favorable pod, gentlemen. That is a favorable pod. Michigan State wasn't very good last year looking at preseason rankings and predictions for this upcoming year. Or way too early ones probably considering we're still in July it's not expecting Michigan State to have a major bounce back year next season either. I mean, a cusp of top 25 in some of the rankings that I've seen. Loyola Chicago, of course, is going to be a tough mid-major out, but don't forget their head coach left the program and went to Oklahoma, and they were relatively senior laden last year. They were very experienced. So I'm curious to see if Auburn were to get past UConn, which I think many of us here in the studio would say among many of the teams that Auburn could have gotten slated with in the first round, UConn probably would have been on your list to choose if you could pick. So not saying that UConn's a bad program. They're not, but they're definitely not what they used to be. And recently Auburn did beat them a couple years ago under Bruce Pearl. So I, I think that's a very winnable game, especially when you compare the two roster talent pools. I think Auburn's side of the bracket is definitely the easier side of the bracket and you could see Auburn all the way to the finals. Yeah, I think you could as well. I think just looking at it, if I were to predict it, it would probably, in my mind, kind of go chalk, I guess. I think Syracuse would beat VCU. I think Baylor would beat Arizona State, who's not been playing well recently. I think Remy Martin's still there. I'd be wrong on that. Michigan State, I think, beats Loyola Chicago. Uh, and then I think Auburn would probably beat Michigan State if they if, if Auburn is, is, in my mind, what they are going to be this season. And then I, I think that Syracuse-Baylor game would be interesting because Baylor is losing a lot and Syracuse is Syracuse. But I think I'd probably take Baylor to win that game if I had to pick right now, even though it's so far, uh, so far away. But, yeah, I think Auburn could definitely see themselves in the finals. It's a chance for Auburn to put themselves on the map. Yeah, and these are these are some blue blood programs uh, in here in Syracuse and Michigan State, and then even throw in UConn, who's been pretty good as as of late, and then Baylor obviously won the national title last season. I mean, like uh, this is definitely a chance for Auburn to to uh, put some respect on their name. Uh, beat some teams that are maybe going through some down years some what, of these better teams and what I mean by put themselves on the map of course Auburn's already on the map of college basketball but I mean after a dormant year coming back into this season it's a chance for Auburn to say hey we're we're a contender this year we're, we are much better than maybe what you previously thought I want to make sure I clarified that let's take a quick break we'll be back stay on the line more of the show when we come back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Dylan Lark behind the controls as well. 30 minutes into the show. It's been a fun show today. 334-321-1390. 
is the number to call. Text line at 334-564-1840 at Point Gardner at Doll Pound on Twitter. Zach Blackerby will be joining us at 3.30 today. We had him originally scheduled at 2.30, going to move that back to 3.30 p.m. So we're going to pivot around here in our rundown and what we've got planned for the show today. Trade, keep, dump. This is a an alternate edition of coach coordinator fire start bench cut whatever you've heard conference realignment this is going to be a blast lance what were your thoughts on this when i posed this after after you explained to me how the hierarchy worked I mean, it's a, it's a great ver- it's another great version of start bench cut. It's just a fun version of that to kind of pick and choose, you know, my through through my uh, underlying biases on these different programs. So it's going to be exciting to go through some of these. So to explain how how to work with this, we've got five groups of three. All right, and each of these groups treat them like they're in a vacuum. Okay, do not do not use one to support another because there are a couple of SEC ones here. So taking a look at this, presenting group one here, you've got Texas, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. First, you have to evaluate, will you trade Texas into the conference for one of these two SEC teams? You have to either trade Texas for Texas A&M or Arkansas, or, and Dylan, we're going to include you on this, or you have to dump Texas and then you only get to keep one of the two SEC teams, and you still have to trade one of them, and you have to go and find another team in college football trading them out with. So in this in this scenario, only one of these two SEC teams stays. So you have the group. Gentlemen, Lance, take it away. I think for me, to start off, trade, keep, dump for Texas, Texas A&M, and Arkansas, I think I am keeping Texas A&M, I am trading Texas for Arkansas, and I am dumping Arkansas. And the reason for that is not like you could you could make the argument that like, oh, well, Texas is not in the southeast and Arkansas is kind of closer. I, I don't really think that either of these location wise are like necessarily like within the southeast. So I discount that. I don't think that's important. And so whenever I look at programs and like their prestige and their revenue and how how competitive they are and how much that brings value to the conference as of right now these programs i would say that texas and texas a&m would be more valuable to the sec so i am keeping a&m trading uh trading arkansas dumping them and bringing texas in this is kind of hard for me i really love arkansas i'm big on arkansas i i've always loved arkansas they're the the lovable losers and i i root for them every year it do what you have to do i just i don't like texas or oklahoma in the sec i've said this multiple times off air uh but i guess out of the two i, I mean got, you could dump texas but you still have to trade one of these sec teams true. away i'll go ahead and i'll give mine then since you're struggling with it if i dump texas then i still have to trade one of these sec teams away and i would rather keep arkansas over a&m and my reasoning for that is the other sports while arkansas may not contribute a whole lot right now in football they contribute a ton of national championships into the conference in peripheral sports even like track they offer you a shot to win it in baseball and they're really good at basketball right now i mean they're they're peripheral sports they are a very good team outside of football very good athletic program outside of football right now a&m what do they offer outside of football 
They're not very good at basketball right now. Honestly, they're one of the worst teams at basketball. They're not very good at baseball. They missed the SEC tournament this year in baseball, so they're not very good in baseball. I don't know what they offer in some of their other peripheral sports. Aren't they good at, I think they're good at track. That's not enough when Arkansas is great at track and the other sports, as already <laughs> pointed out. And Arkansas has been a longer member in the league. A&M just hasn't seemed to fit into the league outside of football as well as Arkansas has. In my opinion, Texas is the better version of A&M. So bring Texas in and switch to A&M out and my, keep Arkansas. My reason for, for keeping Texas A&M is I think it's the size of the specifically their college football fan base and then the revenue that they generate. That's I mean, true. if I'm bringing in prestige-wise, if I'm bringing in like a big boy – even though they've like big boy program, even though they've not really, like you said, shown out uh, in other in other sports as of late. I'm, I, I like tex- what Texas A&M brings. I like their fan base. I'll drop Arkansas, and oh, I'll. I'm alone. I don't want Texas. Oh, so you're dumping Texas and you're trading Arkansas? Yeah, I'll trade Arkansas for Oklahoma. Not Oklahoma. I'll go with. Uh, let's go with the Florida school. I like. Let's go with Florida State. I like Florida State. Or so Miami. Arkansas to the ACC? You're yep. going to bring in Florida State? That's spicy. That's thinking outside the box. Missouri goes, Missouri goes to the west. Florida State goes to the east. We are geographically at peace. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right, guys. Lance, introduce the next one. The next one is Oklahoma, Florida, and LSU. For me, this was really, really tough. But honestly... I think I'm going to dump Oklahoma. I'm going to keep, I think I'm going to keep LSU, and I think I am going to trade Florida for another Florida school, and that being Florida State. I thought about that. I did think about that. Dylan, you have the other half of that. I want to dump Florida, and I'm going to trade. I'm not bringing in Oklahoma. I don't think Big 12 belongs in the SEC, but I do like Clemson coming in instead of over Florida. So you trade Florida for Clemson. Trading Florida for Clemson. Why Clemson and not Florida State? Because I'm actually more in Lance's boat here on Florida State. That's what I did. I said, I don't want Oklahoma. I will keep LSU and trade Florida for Florida State. And I like Florida State maybe more than Clemson right now because of what they offer in basketball and baseball. And I think one day football will be back. Maybe not to the degree that Clemson is right now, but I don't necessarily think bringing in Clemson's level of national championship contender status is necessarily a good idea for the league either so bring florida state in they'll eventually get good and then they've got the other sports as well makes this league an elite basketball conference and florida state was in the sec is already an elite basketball conference without florida state i think we just make a make the football season a little bit more as you said spicy you get clemson and georgia for the east you get alabama versus the entire sec west whoever wins the sec is going to the national championship Case closed. Also, I forgot to mention for the first trade keep dump, if I were to trade Texas A&M, it'd probably be for either Clemson or Georgia Tech, one of the two. Don't know Wait, why. go back through that again. So we had to trade keep dump, right, for Texas, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. Yep. So I'd be keeping Texas, I'd be dumping Arkansas, I'd be trading A&M. And so I'm saying the team would either be Clemson or Georgia Tech, one of the te- two from the ACC. I got you. Probably yeah. Clemson because of prestige. But like, I was say, why Tech? Because they used to be part of the SEC, and I think it'd be kind of fun if they came back in. Even though they would stink, I think it would be fun. Let's go on to the next one here. This is going to go out west. Boise State, Washington, Stanford. This one's tough. This one stumped Dylan, but you have a pretty good answer to this. You yeah. pulled me to it. Yeah, I'm. Washington already owns the Pac-12. It's between them and Oregon every year. 
Stanford hasn't been relevant since McCaffrey. I think, and Boise State has earned that Power Five recognition they des- that they uh, deserve right now. So I'm trading straight up for Stanford and Boise. Boise goes to the Pac-12. Stanford goes to the Mountain West. Lance, I think I am. I'm keeping Washington. I think I am keeping Washington. I am trading Stanford. No, I'm. I'm I mean, I'm trading Boise State, and I am dumping Stanford. And I will trade Boise State for another school on the no, West. No, you have to trade Boise State in for Stanford. Oh, in for Stanford? Yeah, okay, you can't trade Boise with someone else. Yeah, okay. you have to bring Boise in for Stanford. In which case that works. I'm tra- tra- uh, trading Stanford and Boise straight up. I got you. Yeah, that, I think that was what was confusing me with what you were talking about with Tech and Clemson and stuff. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Texas has to come into the league. Um, I'm doing what Dylan did, trading out Stanford for Boise State. If I was going to jettison out a Pac-12 team, I'm bringing Boise in. Maybe San Diego State's the other option, but I think both of those have about the same pedigree at the moment. Boise State's been a little bit more successful, has had fewer drop-offs. Um, so, yeah, and, and Washington, you have to keep. They're, they're one of the hallmark schools of the Pac-12 conference. So I, I, I think that that's, that's spot on right there, guys. Yeah, and so moving on, I, I completely agree with you. Moving on to the fourth one, West Virginia – Virginia and Louisville Dylan I'm trading Louisville for West Virginia but I would love Louisville to be the SEC but I guess in the scenario that they go to the big 12 Lance I think I think I'm trading in I think I'm trading in uh, West Virginia for Louisville and then I'm keeping Virginia I think we're all in agreement here I like that one West Virginia has offered more on the basketball floor than Louisville has in recent years and the football footprint for West Virginia seems to be a little bit more valuable than Louisville's as well, mm-hmm. even though Louisville probably has had a little bit more national success than West Virginia has recently. But I, I think West Virginia does offer more in that category than Louisville. I want to keep Virginia in for their deep ties to the conference and basketball, of course. Last one, Lance. Iowa State, Iowa, and Nebraska. Dylan? This is easy for me. Nebraska does not belong in the Big Ten. Iowa State, straight up for Nebraska. Make that Iowa-Iowa State rivalry actually mean something in the conference. See, I, I, that I would like to do that, but at the same time, like that rivalry would be awesome. But as far as what Iowa State brings, until Matt Campbell got there, did they bring anything like serious outside of basketball? And they're really up and down. Yeah, so they're really, really up and down. So I think there are two ways you could go with this. I think you could just completely drop Nebraska because I agree. I don't think they belong in the Big Ten either. And then you could trade in for Iowa State. Or you could just dump Iowa State, keep Iowa, and then trade Nebraska out for somebody. I brought Iowa State in for Nebraska. Same logic as Dylan. Send Nebraska back to the Big 12. Bring Iowa State in for that rivalry with Iowa. I liked that connection. Let's make it a little bit tougher. Instead of Nebraska, Indiana. Iowa State, Iowa, Indiana. This is tough because of Indiana's deep ties in basketball and their rich history there. Iowa State, once again, they offer more than Indiana at the moment, I think. I think so. I would agree with that. Well, maybe not because Indiana basketball is trending upward and Iowa State's has been trending down. It's just you wonder how long, if I asked you guys right now, which team do you think is more likely to sustain long-term success in football, Iowa State or Indiana? I'm saying Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State without a doubt. So... It's kind of like it's give and take there. But then again, does the rich basketball history for Indiana overweigh that? And I I think it could. But 
I switched out Indiana in that scenario as well. For that scenario, I would I would keep it as it is, but I would trade Indiana for Cincinnati. No. I don't in think Indiana. World? In what world? In my world. That is ridiculous. I love the Bearcats. They deserve to be in a Power 5 conference. Oh, I'd rather have man. them over Indiana. Cincinnati's think, not bad at basketball either. But they, they're not. Guys, Indiana's a blue blood. When's they, the last they're, time they were good, though? I understand, but blue blood is is the the history of it, the the royalty, the fact that they have, that they are among the the nation's elite in terms of national championships. Can you lose blue blood status? And I think we've talked about this before. Has Indiana done enough to probably lose blue blood status in people's minds? I would say yes. I think they're close. In yeah. the in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I would say yes. They very much have gotten into that. But prior to two thousand, blue blood, easy, not hard whatsoever. And so, and last time they were good, I mean, mid-2010s, early 2010s, I mean, they had a couple of one-seed teams. Tom Crean falls apart, programs right back where it was before he took over, but Indiana still has that rich basketball history, and they love basketball up there. Like, guys, I cannot stress enough how crazy of a fan base that is in basketball. Like, one of the best in all of college basketball. It's easy. Cincinnati, that's just disrespectful. I'll text you on September 18th when Cincinnati beats Indiana in football. Oh, it's the Noah Gardner Bowl. <laughs> that is just disrespectful. I will be wearing my Indiana basketball shirt. I'll be wearing my hat. Wait, it's the Noah Gardner-Dylan Lark Bowl. It's the ultimate matchup. I think I, I, in that game, I will be pulling for Cincinnati, even though I do like Indiana's football program. I do like I do like Tom Allen. I do like what they've got going on but I also like Cincinnati. Do you know about the uh, tradition that Indiana has? Like, they touch a, a Hep's rock before every game? Isn't that, like, every other team, like, every team outside the SEC? Like, we've got, like, Tiger Walk, and we're flying an eagle. We've got we've got the, the, the actual Death Valley. We've got all these different cool stuff, and people are, like, touching buckets and rocks in the Look Big guys, Ten. I'm going to go SEC. outside. I'm going to go get one of our rocks from outside, <laughs> and I'm going to put it right outside the studio. And every time we come into the studio, we're going to touch it. We're going to touch Something it. Something funny about right. that, that's exactly how Hep's Rock became a thing. They were It was a construction site. One of the coaches found a rock and was like, I like this rock. This is a nice rock, man. It's a nice rock. It's and very, then brought that's it. That's very Patrick Starr-esque. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They are the Hoosiers. A Hoosier just means you're from the state of Indiana. What does that even What, what is that supposed to mean? You didn't even know what Hoosier was. You about, just, I, thought he, I thought he was about to diss uh, people from Indiana. I was like, well, let's not go there. Yeah, I was like, what's that supposed to mean? This is a great it's, it's state. A, it's, a weird, it's a weird title. You can't say like Alabama is Alabamian, Indiana, Indianaian, but no, it's just Hoosier. It's kind of like a corner. I, they're, they're I bet a you weird. don't even like the movie Hoosiers. Don't tell me you've never seen it. I will not deny Well, it. I actually think it's if it, it was on TV yesterday, maybe. It may be on TV today. I actually don't have it on my... I uh, thought you are supposed to know this. I do no. know this stuff, okay? <laughs> it was not on what's on TV tonight. But speaking of that, we'll do that on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Dylan Lark behind the controls. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind. We've talked a little bit about Auburn basketball with some news today on scheduling and whatnot, home and away designations for the SEC basketball schedule in 2022, as well as Auburn football preseason depth chart analysis. Went through quarterbacks earlier. If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight 
Take a look at tonight's action. Let's take a look at a couple of movie selections. Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore star at 51st Dates on AMC at 7. Good movie. Sad, but good movie. The mistress and the wife team up to destroy the cheating husband. The other woman is on Freeform at 6.30. In the sports world, of course, we got to keep up with the Olympic action in Tokyo. Live on NBC from 7 to 11, you've got finals in swimming and men's diving, along with the individual all-around in men's gymnastics. Opening round coverage of the men's golf tournament. Buckle up for this. Golf Channel, 5.30 p.m. to 2 a.m. Who's staying up? I won't be, but I'll probably watch a little bit of it. USA Women's Beach Volleyball takes on Kenya live at 7 on USA. Following it at 8, Women's Rugby is on USA as well. Olympic replays are on NBC Sports starting at 7. 3-on-3 basketball, of course, I'm sure many of you saw. Bronze and gold medal games. USA took gold. Following it at 8, the U.S. men's volleyball team takes on Tunisia. Gentlemen, good lineup. Yeah, really good lineup. And then also uh, really excited that... uh, United States, the the men's basketball team ba- got back to their old ways and finally did what they normally do, which is beat a team by sixty. And they they well, not close, not they, quite. They fifty four. D- they destroyed Iran, and I was it was so glad to see them do what they've not been able to do over these past few exhibition games and through that first game is they've not been able to shoot well from deep. And then Damian Lillard decided that it was game time and absolutely popped off. It was it was it was good to see. It was good to see, considering cultural relations between those two countries that was very it's definitely not in the same realm as cold war united states russia athletic events definitely not even remotely close to those same situations but it's one of those where you see cultural impacts of foreign relations between two countries take stage in an athletic situation that was not a game that I felt like the U.S. could have afforded to uh, to play poorly. Yeah, they uh, they had to go out and, and get a dub at some point. So happy not, they did. I, and, and I'll be real, not just a dub. You had to go out there and you had to you had to win big. Get a fat dub. They, there could be no doubts on that one. And then they did do that. Now they've got one more game. They got Czech Republic up next, and that's another game where I want to uh, the, uh, the, the the I almost said Auburn. The United States. See, it's so ingrained in my in my mind. Uh, the United States should, once again, look to dominate Czech Republic. They should look to dominate pretty much all the teams that they play in the Olympics. But this team has seemed to struggle a little bit more for some reason. Czech Republic is still a team, though, that they should handle easily and get on to bracket play. Are they going to encounter uh, a, a country that has like a superstar in the NBA? Like, Are they going to encounter Doncic at any point in the bracket, you think? That I don't know. I haven't looked that far ahead. To be honest, I don't really dig into the Olympics that much, especially this one, considering all live programming takes place in the evening. And that's I'm not always just wanting to go and sit down. I, I don't get home at night and think, man, I got to get down in my recliner and watch the Olympics. I gotta gotta see guys run. Yeah, I would be honest with you. I've not seen anything outside of uh, USA's basketball games. That's but I've watched. Yeah, I will be. Well, ex- they were on Peacock last night. Yeah. I was like, I don't have Peacock. I do. I'll be excited to see uh, see how far they get in the bracket, man. I hope they start to actually heat up. That's right. That's it for hour number one here on On the Line. Hour number two coming up. On the line 
Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Dylan Lark behind the controls as well. Fun first hour. Go and find the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere. So go and find the podcast. However you get your podcast, just search On the Line. It's that easy. Go and find our fantastic logo and select it and uh, go listen to the latest episode or go as far back to the show's inception. Everything's all there. So go and check it out. Starting off hour number two here with an interesting discussion that I say for today. Since 1980, which decade has been the best for Auburn football? We'll have a graphic of that up following the show today so you can go and check out that on ESPN 106.7 and I want to get your thoughts on that as well so if you're out there on Twitter if you're out there on Facebook Instagram go and put your thoughts up we want to hear from you on that also call in 334-321-1390 since 1980 which has been the best decade there's some arguments to suggest maybe this past one may have been the best one yeah, I definitely think there is. I think Auburn uh, this this past decade has uh, had some pretty solid moments, and you know it's a shame that we can't include uh, the 2010 season. So if we were gonna do, if we were gonna uh, do these, it would be 2000 to 2010, and that would include that national title that no, Auburn I think had. you can. It's 2000 to 2009, 2010 to 2019, 2010 to 20. Okay, in which case, there yeah. you go. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, let's include it then. I would say that then then uh, this most recent decade since 1980, I I think when you look at the records I think that it has a pretty good argument to be made for the best that Auburn's had uh since 1980 just for the sake of the national championship sake for, just for the sake of the national title now well, there now there were some there were some fantastic years under coach died during the 80s and then in the 90s but Auburn ran the SEC that's the other thing it's the cultural perception of Auburn getting put on the map and really taking nothing no, no no excuses taking nothing from anyone else in the league auburn was the, the dog yeah. in the sec back then you look you look at the you look in the 80s 1983 auburn won it 1987 1988 1989 first 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 i mean they, they were they were dominating there but you didn't and, win an Addy. they didn't win a national title which uh which which i think it's important if you're going to look back on a decade you're going to highlight some big moments i mean winning a national title i would say is, is a pretty big one and win percentage was much higher and they were playing a higher brand of opponent you go back and look at those schedules back in the 1980s auburn was playing teams like miami georgia tech and florida state all on the same non-con schedule and they only really had one cupcake and that would have been like a brett Favre southern miss good luck on that one and Auburn still had their highest win percentage of decades since 1970, highest win percentage of all of those decades at 723. So they won 72% of their ball games back then, 86-31 and 2. This previous decade, 87 and 45. It's a lot more losses in there. One more win, a lot more losses. 14 more losses, a 659 win percentage. But you still two SEC championships, one national championship in the 2010s. 1980s, you had those four SEC championships in a row. 
So two more SEC championships, no natties, more wins, less losses in the 80s. But you look at the 2010s, and I think that's the ones, I, th- I think that's the two decades that you got to compare, right? Yeah, I think you do. When you look at the 1980s as well, you'll notice that Auburn had uh, two losing seasons, but that was 1980 and 1981 when they went five and six back-to-back years, and then 1980, obviously, that last year with Doug Barfield. But, I mean, after that, they, they really ramped it up. They had 11, 10, 12, or 11 and 10 win seasons. They had, I believe it was three. He had three 10 win seasons, one 11 win season, uh, two nine win seasons, three nine win seasons, and then two eight win seasons. I mean, so they were they were doing they were doing well for themselves during the during the eighties. Dylan, you're the one who put the graphic together. You were the one doing a lot of that research. Thoughts? I got to give it to twenty tens. The quality of games too. Like in the twenty thirteen, you got the kick six game. You had the prayer Jordan air. So you think this previous decade was the best decade for all football? I do. Yeah, especially because like you got the iron all the iron bowl wins. I mean, those are just quality wins. Especially like the twenty nineteen iron bowl is probably. You could On the argue. flip side, you had the worst season in Auburn history as well in the 2010s. But it makes that 2013 season so much better. Hindsight is 2020, as you said. That is true. That is true. I'm torn because 1980s, I think it was much harder to win than in the 2010s. Maybe not a national championship, but then again, it was based on voting back then. So, like, even if you were, even if you thought you should have won the national championship, you still may have not have won the national championship. And Auburn was one of those teams that had a different per- perception about them nationally, to where it was harder to win based off of voting. So, maybe for Auburn, it was it, it was it was much harder to win a national championship back then in the '80s, where you're trying to get on the map. You're playing a much more difficult schedule. I mean, just go and look at the schedule. I don't know what you're talking about quality of games. What are you talking about? I mean, at the think, sa- think about those schedules. Yeah, but at the same time, the SEC West, either the runner-up runner for the national title or the winner of the national title since 2010, has come from the SEC West outside of, I believe it was 2014 when Alabama was in the, in the semifinals. But outside of that, I mean, there's yeah. it's been it's been a really tough go if you're sitting in the SEC West and you're Auburn. I mean, it's been a really tough go if you don't make it out on top. It's got two of the best games of all time in college football history. I mean, I I can't think of a big moment of Auburn in 1980. I know I know Bo over the top, but after that, I can't really name. That's because you're young. There are big moments. It could be, but I mean, I, I there even are major know, like, moments. The, you might want to stop right there. We're going to get callers ripping you for that. <laughs> there I, are major I would, moments. I would love to hear a caller's opinion on this. I mean, I, I could be just because I'm young, but I, I've only ever heard above the top. Can you name any, like off the top of your head, like big moments in Auburn football in the 1980s besides the Bo Jackson? Uh, Lawyer Tillman, that that moment. I mean, there, look, once again, I'm young too, but I'm I'm I've been around enough folks to say – and to know that there were major moments all across that time. Yeah, but and the fact I mean, that you ran the SEC and you had four SEC titles. At in the a row. same time, though, like the kick six is probably one of the best moments in Auburn football history. If football not, history. Yeah, if not the best. Like it's like really, really hard yeah. to beat that. Tillman reverse in '86. That's a major moment. I mean, do they do they amount to the kick six? No, we never we had never seen that before. But I don't know if that should be the criteria to say that. The 2010s was the best decade of Auburn football. I don't know if that one game should be what we, well, we that, put that whole we put season. On that. that whole season, like you know, you got the D Ford sack, which cemented Auburn as, "Hey, we're back. We're back as a contender now." 
you have the prayer. I don't even there. know if that one season that loss that was a loss in the SEC championship, but still a two loss or not a loss SEC championship, the national championship. It was a two loss season. I don't even know if you could say that that season alone. Well, even that championship was fun to watch. It's I would put rank it up there as like one of the best championships to watch. Still lost. <laughs> still lost. Yeah, it, yeah hurt, it hurt, but it's one of the best games ever. I'm gonna go with the '80s. I'm gonna go with the '80s, and I'm gonna do that because of Pat Dye building the program up taking it out of the time period with Doug Barfield, putting it on the map, the level of competition in which Auburn was playing versus the perception that the nation had around them at that time. It was a different brand of football back then, harder to recruit as well. Like I, I, I would say it's more impressive what Auburn did in the 80s maybe than what it did in the 2010s. What would you put at third? Who, which oh, 2000s, that- easy. It's not even close. I would put the 2000s for sure. It's the next best winning percentage on here at 693, 88, and 39. You had 2004, you won one SEC title. None of the other decades, 70s and 90s, Auburn didn't win an SEC championship. So easy as third. 2000s was another decade. I mean, so that's another positive that I think that I wanted to bring out in having this conversation about Auburn football decades. While I do believe the 1980s was Auburn's best decade, you ran the SEC. That The, the league ran through Auburn at that time. While I do believe that the 80s was the best one, and it's fine if you guys think 2010s. I don't think the 2010s is that far behind because it did have the national championship and it did have major moments. It also had incredibly low lows as well, you know, that the 1980s really didn't give you. 1980s, Auburn was dominant. But what I'll say about it is, despite the fact that the 1980s is is the best decade, Auburn's had its its two best decades after that since 2000. So Auburn football is in a much better place here in the modern time and it's trending in that direction than maybe where it was back. In. And I think it's trending in the right direction. I think this past decade was better than the one before it. I think the 2010s was better than the 2000s. So I think there's evidence to suggest that Auburn is trending towards getting onto the national stage yet again, like they were in the 1980s. Now, will they do that with Brian Harson? That remains to be seen. But we've talked a lot about similarities between the hire of Brian Harson to Pat Dye, similar types of mentalities, trying to bring back that old school brand of football and trying to get Auburn to be tough and take – Take nothing, take take nothing from other teams in the league. You know, like don't don't get bullied by the other teams in the league. Avoid these lows. You know, have confidence, believe that you're going to win. Discipline, tough, all these great things. And, and sometimes those are just buzzwords that that get people's attention and make you think, oh yeah, this guy's bringing in a culture. But sometimes it sticks. And when it sticks, that's when something special takes off, and you may have found a gym and a coach. And so I'm curious to see because we talked a lot about this when Malzahn was fired. When Malzahn was fired. I said that Malzahn left the program in a better place than where he picked it up. And, of course, he did pick it up after Gene Chizik won a title. But I think Malzahn elevated Auburn football to a place where they were right on the cusp of being able to be in, national, in, in the national picture, in the national contention. I mean, people know about Auburn football. They respect it as a top 15 program. They talk about it all the time. It's in the, nationals, it's in the national landscape, the national view, but without really competing on that stage on a consistent basis. The fact that Auburn was inside the top 10 on a repeated basis under Malzahn, now they didn't finish it, but they were inside the top 10, shows you that the country had enough respect for Auburn football to send them there on a repeated occasion, despite the fact that they couldn't finish there, right? There was some respect there. Malzahn helped elevate Auburn to that point. Now it's time to, for a coach to keep him there. I think also whenever you're looking at the, the, the 2010s compared to the 1980s and you look at the the amount of like SEC title games that they appeared in, like you had to play SEC title games in the 2010s, but in the 1980s you didn't have to do that, and they just won the conference outright. So I'm curious it, you know, if they played against – 
uh, some teams that they would have had to if they, if they had conference titles back in the day, like if they had played against that Georgia team in 1983, and if or if they had played against a team in 1987, 88, or 89, you know what the outcomes would have been if they had had to play in a conference title game because Auburn appeared in three during the 2010s and they won two of, two of them and then they lost the third. So you talk about the degree of difficulty having that conference title game. I think would also also factors into it. So I, I'm just it, I think it would just been interesting to see if they had to play those teams in the 1980s, would they have been able to come out on top four out of four times and win that SEC title game? So you think it's the 2010s? I think it's the 2010s, but it's, I'm not saying that the the 80s were were bad by any stretch. No, you say it's second. It's clearly second on that list. Yes, yes, it's a very close second. A very close second for me. That's so hard for me to I, because also the schedule is the other is is my only rebuttal that I can give you based on the fact that they didn't have an SEC title game. But I also don't think you can fault the 1980s necessarily. But then again, for for not having the title game because it, it just didn't exist. Like I don't know I don't know if we can say that because Auburn didn't get to appear in it that they wouldn't have won. So we can't really fault right. them for that. But I also know that you can't give them credit for it because they didn't play it in either. I just look at the 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 games that Auburn played against. They played against Texas to open up a year, and then they played Kansas, which, you know, I understand. Then they were at number 11, Tennessee, at North Carolina, hosted Vanderbilt, at Georgia Tech, hosted Mississippi State, versus number 10, Florida, versus number 4, Florida State. They played Florida State in a non-conference game in November. In November, guys. And Florida State was top five at the time. At Georgia after they played Florida State number four. Then they hosted Alabama, and then they played, of course, in their bowl game at the end of the year. So, like, that is brutal. And it was like that every single year. I think that kind of makes up for the fact that they didn't play an SEC title game because nobody's playing schedules like that now. Yeah, but at the same time, for me, like, the SEC West is extremely competitive. And like I said, like, the person that comes out of it alive is going to compete for a national title. So just the fact that you were able to get through that three different times, I think, is significant. And then you've got the special moments like the kick six and the prayer of Jordan here and then winning a national title. I think it's a very close second, but I think the, the 2010s have a slight edge over the 1980s. One other point that I want to make, though, is is the SEC West truly that competitive when only one team has the king's share of SEC championship and national championship appearances? Now, Auburn's been to three, but when you're talking about if you win the SEC West, you're going to the natty. Um, LSU did it twice, and Bama did it all the other times, and Auburn did it one time. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm there, like I get it, but like – outside like they're typically the team that wins the sec that year and sure there are outliers typically the team that wins the sec west that year they boat raced all the other teams and i don't truly know how competitive the league is because i I think there is a little i I don't think we could say looking at this schedule from the 80s i don't think if we can say that this schedule compares to what you play on a weekend and week out basis now in the sec when i just rattled off a stretch from october 31st to November 27th where Auburn played four straight top 10 opponents or three straight top 10 opponents and then Alabama which is going to play like a top 10 opponent right like Auburn's not playing that now you get Ole Miss who's outside the top 25 and you get you get Mississippi State who's outside the top 25 and you get these other teams very that, that are that are that are kind of bottom feeders thrown in there right back then that was that wasn't happening these were that you were playing top 10 opponents every week you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. 
I mean, do you have anything against that? No, I just still think the SEC West is, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, extremely competitive. I'm just saying it's an extremely talented division. And I'm, not, and I'm saying that, and that I'm, I agree with you, the talent that Auburn was facing back in 2000, in, or in the 1980s, was good. They were playing some really good football programs. I'm just saying the fact that Auburn was able to come out on top of a division that has LSU and Alabama in it three different times, or at least get to that point, is impressive. And, you know, the Auburn was able to do it four times in the 1980s, which is also impressive. But then I'll also factor in national title, kick six, prayer at Jordan Hare, Cam Newton, you know. I mean, I, I just I think it's just got a slight edge over it in my mind. But then there's Bo, gentlemen. There's Bo. And 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 there, there's there's Dylan who just took a sigh. I don't know what that meant. It, it I it's just you can't I can't compare Bo Bo I know Bo Jackson's like the greatest of his era Cam Newton is the greatest quarterback of give his era give me Bo 10 out of 10 times over Cam Newton I don't even have to think about it really give me Bo Jackson 10 I, out of 10 times I I can't it, it'd go both greatest ways for athlete me of all time. I have to take Cam because I saw what I was able to see what Cam did I feel like if I was able to witness Bo I'd probably have a different opinion but seeing Cam Newton take a group of three stars to who didn't even step foot in the league to a national championship is just beyond me. So I have to go with the 2010. Cam was special. Cam was special. And I'm going to take away from Cam. I know that kind of sounded like that when I said Bo 10 out of 10 times, but I wish I could have seen Bo play. I think what yeah. has been, I think what is evidenced by this, and I mean, you get to see a lot of his highlights and you get to go and watch whatever a little bit you can. I mean, you can go and find different clips all over the place just to see what the guy did. But I think what is evidenced by this is uh, I should have been born in, in like 30 years ago. <laughs> We, I mean, and we you the, guys are good with your with your current generation. We though. have the thirty for thirty documentary on Bo, on Bo Nose, which is probably my favorite one out of all of them. That that doesn't it shows you how great he was. But the only way you can truly know that is if you were to witness him. But our generation's Bo is Cam, and it's kind of hard to argue that unless you've seen all of Bo Jackson, or maybe Tank. No, I'm just joking. Probably not. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk a little NBA draft. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and More. Seven hours local sports talk radio that's all on espn 106.7 find the website on espnau.com just had a thrilling discussion about decades since 1970 1980 which decade was the best for auburn football we want some calls on that we want to calls on anything whatever is on your mind i say the 80s the other two gen z children in here say the 2010s i think 2010s is a close second but i'm still rocking with the 80s i think we've got a call too so we're about to go to that right here we're going to go to specter i wonder if specter agrees with me as well 334-321-1390 specter on the line with us specter which decade do you think was the best decade for albert football are you with me is it the 1980s well i'll tell you what i've lived through them all and uh it's hard to beat that guy and what he did but I tell you what, when we won the national championship with Cam Newton, it's uh, it was something to to really enjoy, I guess. Uh, 
what I'm trying to say is when you were talking about Cam Newton and Bo Jackson, uh, those two different animals. Now you take Cam Newton, he took he, he, the way he beat Alabama in that championship year down by 24 points and come back and beat Nick Saban. I mean, that's, that's hard to argue with. So you'll uh, take Cam Bo over Jack- Bo. Absolutely. But only because of the abilities that Cam Newton had at the time. And uh, I, I would really would like to have seen Cam come back for a senior year, even though he didn't have the team uh, that he had before. But, but like, he, like, like you mentioned, that he took a team of threes and took them to a national championship. What would he? What would he have done in his senior year with a nut, with some threes and even more fours than threes? Yeah, that team was still somewhat had some talent still even going into twenty eleven. I mean, people forget they did go eight and five. I mean, it, that's not good, yeah. but like it wasn't it wasn't twenty twelve yet. Like they were they were still yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I tell you what, there's something y'all didn't mention is school spirit. Now the school spirit during the eighties was was outrageous. And it carried on into into Bowden's era, and that school spirit is just something you just cannot beat, and it, it makes a football team play better too. Uh, we had that school spirit even into Tuberville's era, and then all of a sudden there was some oh man, politics involved in, in, in Tuberville's era. But his first his first four or five years were absolutely great, and then you got uh, you know you got Malzahn's era. And uh, Chiswick one year, but, uh, but yeah, I tell you, I tell you that uh, that that last ten years is hard to beat. This this previous one in the twenty tens. Yes, yes, it's it's hard to beat. Even though we got there's so many things involved here. I mean, you got a lot of variables. overall. Yeah, a lot of variables. overall though. I guess I would have to agree with you. I think I would take the last ten years, but simply because of what Kim the national championship. And we went back to the national championship and lost it in the last minute and a half. But but uh, it's hard to beat that. And it's crazy because you think there were some – you didn't have the lows in the 80s. Like, you, you had it in the first two years in, in 80 and 81, but that was before Pat Dye really got things going. Once he yeah. got things going, there weren't there was no drop-off years. But when you look at the, the, the 2010s, there were some really low lows, but the highs were were higher than what you got in the 80s. So it, it yeah. kind of it's just I, I think it's kind of a personal preference thing on the answer to this question. I kind of like the dominance of the '80s and the fact that they didn't drop off maybe a little bit more than than what you got in the 2010s, even though there was an Eddie. Yeah, I, I think Malzahn just I think he just lost his marbles there in the end and just could not even coach anymore at, at our level. Um, he may be successful at a, at a different level, but in a Southeastern Conference, he just he peaked too early and uh and just couldn't recover after that the game anyway, definitely caught up to him it did but anyway that's, that's about all i got for now guys appreciate it specter hope to hear from you again this week now a specter on the line with us 334-321-1390 if you've got some thoughts to throw in there we've narrowed it down it's 1980s or 2010s which decade do you think was the best for auburn football I definitely think we can all agree, though, that the 2010s was better than the 2000s, and that means we're on an upward trajectory. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we've got we've got a a lot of positive things 
that we've seen from this new coaching staff with Brian Harson. Although I do still have my concerns, but it's so early, it's hard to legitimize most of it. Legitimize. Leg- le- that yeah. is going on the uh, the the funny Legit- words list that leg- we have. Legitimize <laughs> most things uh, that I've seen from this coaching staff. I need to head back to Dramastic. But um, I think that it's really exciting. I think this next decade is going to be uh, promising. I'm excited to see what type of recruits Brian Harson brings in because you know he's not he's not brought them in yet, but I believe that he is going to in the future. Dylan, any final thoughts? You were preparing for the night for the 2020s decade. I'm kind of prepared for the 2030s decade, in all honesty, because that's when we're going to see the. I'm going to put quotes around at the end of the Saban dynasty. Oh, you said 1920s. I was like, what? oh yeah, the tw- I mean, 2020s. Yeah, the 20 the 2020s. I think the 2030s probably going to be the best year for Auburn because that's when Saban is most definitely going to be gone by then. At least we hope, unless a man too stubborn to retire. You know what's funny? When Tennessee fired Jeremy Pruitt. I went into like a deep dive for Tennessee football and, and compared their decades. This previous decade for Tennessee, not even close. Like worst decade in Tennessee football history. And you talk about the fact that they may deal with sanctions coming up with some of that stuff that happened under Pruitt and, and, and all the investigations going into Tennessee right now. It, it, this could continue into the 2020s. And like I, I really do believe that we may not see Tennessee beat Alabama for another 5,000 days. Because that, that's the, that's what the counter is at right now. It's at 5,000 days or a little bit over that now, of course. But, like, it's been that long since they've beaten Alabama. I think that it will be another 5,000 days. Is, so they, I don't think they beat them this last decade. Last time they beat Alabama was back when Alabama lost to Man, ULM? It was, dude, it was like 2007. Oh. I, I, I think – Lance, do you think it will happen this, this decade? Will Tennessee beat Alabama before 2030? I don't think they will. I would like to think it happens, especially after Nick Saban is gone. I would like to think it happens. I don't know if it will. I will say yes simply because You're playing I, the odds. I'm playing the yeah, I'm gonna play the odds. I'm gonna say yes, simply because if Nick Saban leaves and they don't hire another Nick Saban, I can see Tennessee at some point either having a golden year or getting lucky. Yeah, I don't as long as Saban's there, he's not losing to the volunteers. It, you might it probably won't even be like after Saban leaves because whoever inherits that Bama team is going to be in a good place. My thing is, I don't know how they're going to build a team to do it. The team just lost everything. They're in rebuild mode now. They had 25 guys leave for the transfer portal. It, it like, And they may even go on sanctions, which is going to further hurt them. I don't think they win in the next four or five years. And then the next five years after that are going to be burned by whatever happens from all this NCAA stuff. I really am curious. I don't think they do it. 2030, after that, maybe. Right now, I don't think it's happening. You're listening to On The Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joining us here at 3.30 p.m. Zach, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for being flexible. My my phone died, and I know I wasn't going to get home at time by two thirty. So I appreciate y'all. No, we appreciate you joining us and joining us on short notice at that NBA draft stuff going on this week. Of course, tomorrow thoughts right. on Auburn selection so far. Well, I mean, first thing, it's kind of a weird feeling. I mean, normally 
you know, last year we kind of felt like, okay, could Isaac go in the top 10 and ultimately ended up going in the top five. The year before that, though, there was a lot of uncertainty about, you know, where could Chuma Okiki go? Um, we all kind of thought he'd be a first-round guy, but he went a lot higher than a lot of other folks because the Magic just uh, apparently fell in love with him in the process. But this week's different, right, because it's like, okay, there's two dudes, and they're being mocked all over the place. I mean, I've seen Sharif Cooper in mocks just this week go as high as 13, and then I've also seen mocks where he goes in the second round, which is um, which is super, super interesting. And then same with JT Thor. You see him mocked in the early 20s, and then also him going anywhere in the second round. So I think it's going to be fun to watch this draft. It's probably going to be the most interest I've ever had in the NBA draft, just as far as like, okay, any pick after, you know, 12 or 13 could be an Auburn player. And guys, I wouldn't be shocked if one of these teams in, you know, the middle of the first round or late in the first round told JT4, hey, if you go to the draft, you're our dude when it's our turn to pick. Um, Just because it still surprised me to some extent that he left. He must have gotten some really, really good news. And that's why he chose to keep his name in there. And maybe it's the same with Sharif Cooper. You never know. But I think uh, I think there's a chance that both these guys go higher than uh, than folks are mocking them. If you had to pick right now, which player would you rather have if you're an NBA franchise? Would you rather have JT Thor or would you rather have Sharif Cooper? Oh, man. Probably JT Thor. Um just because to win in now in today's NBA game, you have to have an elite point guard. And I think Sharif Cooper can be a really serviceable point guard for your franchise. I don't know if he's going to be a star point guard. Um, you just don't see guys like him that play that one that are um, not elite shooters. And not to say that he can't develop that into his game, and you know maybe he does. I'm pulling for the kid. But he's a good scorer. Not a great shooter, and you know he's obviously a great uh, facilitator as far as all that goes. But in today's NBA, you don't really see that as much anymore. And maybe, maybe uh, you know Sharif can kind of change that to some extent. But JT Thor, I mean, we forget. Noah and I were talking about this at lunch the other day. We forget. So many people forget. I forget that uh, JT Thor should have been a senior in high school last year. I mean, that's just something that you really can't pass up. And the NBA loves potential, they love raw talent, they want just really high-quality clay so they can work with it and mold it over the course of, you know, uh, that first contract that they have. So I personally uh, I personally would prefer JT4 if I was um, leading an NBA franchise, um, which that may, uh, that may surprise some people. Taking a look at Auburn basketball. I don't know, Zach, have you had a chance today to take a look at Auburn's home and away designations for the 2022 SEC basketball schedule? A little bit. I was uh, listening to you guys um, talk about it. I haven't really, like, stared at it and then broke it down. Uh, I know folks on Auburn Twitter were talking about the matchup with Kentucky because that's kind of what we do now, but that's, uh, that's kind of been the gist of it. What stands out uh, about it to you guys? I like the fact that you got Kentucky and LSU at home rather than having to play those teams on the road. But the right. equivalent of that on the road that I don't like is that you got to go to Fayetteville, which kind of hard for me to gauge at this moment how good Arkansas is going to be this year. New transfers coming into the program, will they be as good as this previous year's crop that took them to this to the Elite Eight? I don't think they will be that good. 
but it's still a tough place to play in Fayetteville, and I hope that doesn't end up being a trap game. Kind of all comes down to how it slots out on the actual schedule. Yeah, and I think for me, I think for me, whenever you look at all these away games, you know, like some of these matchups, obviously, like Tennessee and Arkansas are going to be tough. Tennessee being the uh, the Justin Powell Bowl, but I mean, like you can't guarantee a win. Uh, on this schedule like anywhere even the home games it is so hard to win on the road in the sec and it's also difficult to win at home sometimes especially if you don't have that atmosphere there we saw that last season with covid so uh, for me it's not necessarily oh i'm scared of the sec i think auburn's got a very talented team this season but uh yeah i think some of these games are definitely going to be tough outs but like like noah said very grateful that we get kentucky and lsu at home yeah, Florida on the road's been a team that, you know, I, I can't really remember a time where Auburn's gone down there and looked comfortable. It seems like in Gainesville they always kind of stumble a bit. But, you know, um, that road game at Tennessee, I love what that rivalry has become, uh, you know, with Bruce Pearl being here. Um, hasn't had a hard time beating Tennessee consistently, but, you know, obviously that'll be a fun one um, to watch as Auburn goes to Knoxville. Zag taking a look at some football stuff going on. We did our preseason depth chart analysis with quarterbacks. Okay. What does that look like right now? Preseason depth chart, QB for Auburn. Of course, Bo Nix at the top, but uh, kind of give us a synopsis. Well, we went three deep. I went seven deep, but we didn't get there. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Bo's obviously the top one. I think that's pretty clear. Um, I think there'd be more conversation about that if he had not been brought to media days. I think two is uh, is uh, Finley. I think three is D. Davis. And uh, then I think four is Trey Lindsey. And then I think five is is Grant Lloyd. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, as far as you know, who gets who gets like you know cleanup duty and garbage time? That's going to be interesting. And I think that's going to be more of not necessarily who's the backup this year, but who do they want to invest in in the future. And is that Finley or is that Demetrius Davis? I don't know the answer to that, but that's going to be an interesting situation, especially, you know, early on in the season, like when you open up things against Akron and all of that, because I think they're going to try to get these guys reps in four games, you know, or as much as they possibly can in those four games. Cause I think they still want to redshirt Demetrius Davis. Um, but uh, you could still redshirt yeah, TJ I mean, Finley if you wanted to. Yeah, I guess you could. I guess you could. Um, you know, he still got that extra year because he played last year. Davis wasn't in college football last year. But, yeah, I mean, in theory, you could redshirt Finley, and then he could just be um, – I guess he could just play for six years. Yeah, that's a good point. Honestly, I think we could be looking at a situation where it's likely that he gets redshirted. Are there more than four games on the schedule that we think T.J. Finley will appear in if Bo Nix ends up getting better this year? I kind of wonder – you know, just talking to former players and things like that, I mean, he may not want to be redshirted. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously, if he only gets in four games, um, then you know, you're going to have to do that. But I think there's questions like, who's the holder? You know, does Finley hold in extra point situations? Or do you put, you know, use another guy like Grant Loy since you don't worry about his eligibility long term? That's an interesting conversation and honestly one I haven't really thought about before, Noah. But um I guess in an ideal world, you're redshirt both of them. 
Well, an interesting conversation that's been floating around all of college football for about a week and a half now is the fact that Oklahoma and Texas are officially joining the SEC. I don't think we've gotten your thoughts on it, Zach, yet. And I want to just kind of get your opinion on are you for uh, the Sooners and Longhorns joining the, the, the SEC or are you against it? Well, it's like we found the only topic that could get us to quit talking about NIL and pay to play and all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm for it. I think it's fun. I think it's good for college football. I think it's good for the SEC. I'm not positive how good it is for Auburn and Florida, you know, those teams that are kind of consistently third or fourth in their respective uh, divisions. I kind of wonder what that will look like long-term for several uh, SEC teams. But all in all, I think it's good, obviously more money. So it's going to you know allow you to put your conference on a different level. As you know, I mean, it's really going to separate the SEC – from the Big Ten, uh, I think they've kind of already separated themselves from everybody else. So that's a good thing, you know, especially with you know the the expanded college football playoff and and all of that. I think you're going to see a ton of SEC teams in those twelve now moving forward. But yeah, all in all, I think uh, I think I'm all for it. Any chance that four SEC teams decide to vote against it? I think I could pick out four teams that I would that that I could think internally would be against this just because of, like you pointed out, stature in the league. It's obviously not good for an Auburn or a Florida or somebody like that. I, mean, I would say it's probably worse for Auburn than it is for Florida at this point, considering Florida just went to an sure. SEC championship. But I, 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 th- right. I think you could point out four teams that are like, no, we don't want any part of this. But you do bring up a great point about money. So do you think this is going to be unanimous? I do think it's going to be unanimous just because politically I don't think you can vote against it. I'm curious, Noah, what are your four teams that you would think? A&M's one of them. Who are the other ones? Uh, Auburn, I think you could put into that category, but Auburn may very – I have no inside information on that, and I've talked to nobody inside the athletic department, and they may, they may love every bit of this. And these sure. different programs and everything inside may be looking at spreadsheets and projecting in the future what this could do for the league, or, or maybe the mm-hmm. league has told them about that and has sold them on it, and they're all in, right? But teams like yeah. Auburn, A&M – I don't think Tennessee has a whole lot to gain from this. I think this further throws Tennessee into irrelevancy. Uh, LSU is has a lot to lose from this as well, and the same reasons why A&M has a lot to lose. You've all of a sudden got two Big 12 teams that didn't have the ability to recruit you on, to recruit their players on conference prestige. Now they can say, hey, there's no difference between us and LSU and come and play at our, our, at our institutions, right? And so I could see LSU not liking some team that regionally is now creeping even more into their own backyard. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. If you think folks, if you think folks um, vote against it just because it's not necessarily good for them, and I think your line of logic there is sound. I think it makes a lot of sense. But if you're an Auburn or if you're an LSU or a uh, Tennessee, any SEC team, I'll excuse A&M from this, but I still think they fall into it. But for the sake of the conversation – if you vote against it and they still get in, or even if they don't get in, you know, when you're out there recruiting, do you think that's going to be brought up as like, hey, they voted against it. That team that's also recruiting you voted against this. They don't think that they can beat Texas and Oklahoma. We can. We believe that we can do that. I think that comes up instantly if you vote against them joining the SEC. With that being said, and I agree with that, 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 would, yeah. become, that would come up. I think it would be easier for – teams and recruiters to shut that down I think it would be easier to shut that down than it would be to uh, to recruit against those teams on a regular basis inside your own league I think that that may only be a thing for you know that someone may try that anti or negative recruiting pitch 
but there are other things inside those programs being in the SEC and still having those benefits that really outweighs and then not to mention you can show the records and you can say this is what these guys are doing every year and Texas is an eight and five team and every single season and Oklahoma got waxed by LSU a a couple of years ago and lose every time they get to the playoff there's really not a great track record for those big 12 teams either it's not about the the fact that I think that these teams are going to come in and all of a sudden start stealing championships from from some of these schools it's more of I think that they're going to start stealing recruits and create maybe parity down the line. It's not immediate, but down the line that I think it could be a problem. I don't know. You, do you have any final takes on that? Um, no, I, I agree with that. But it is kind of funny because we said that we said that when A and M and Missouri came into the league too, and then you know A and M gets Johnny Football and they light up everything. Missouri goes to two straight SEC championships very early on, so. I don't know, man. Anything could happen as far as, you know, how competitive they are instantly and all that. Um, I mean, there's just so many different factors that go into it. But, uh, you know, back to your original question, I think I think all 14 teams will vote in favor of them joining the conference when it's all said and done. Zach, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your content. Yeah, yeah. Locked on Auburn's available wherever you listen to podcasts and then uh, – if you are in the Auburn, Opelika, Lee County area, uh, on the dial, 98.7 FM on News Talk WANI. I'm on there uh, talking about all the local happenings happening in our community from 6 to 9 every morning. And you can follow me on Twitter, at TheBlackerby. Guys, I really appreciate it. Zach, appreciate you, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. You too, guys. Thanks. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Last segment of the show here. We got about six minutes left. Let's go to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. John, appreciate you being patient, my man. It's good to hear from you. What's on your mind? No problem. I have five quick things. Number one, I enjoy the show. I listen often. Number two, Aaron Rodgers should quit. He is a, a whiner crybaby. Number three, Zach Blockerby does an unbelievable job and especially with locked on auburn number four i thought it was funny of noah making fun of uh, lance's misspoken words that he does quite often i think it goes well with the occasional kind of prepubescent teen cracking voice from his co-host and fourth or fifth and lastly most importantly i don't think we should celebrate the usa basketball win too much because iran could not beat vanderbilt <laughs> Man, you ran through all that. Well, I got a question for you real quick, okay? Yes, um, hit me. So, be- better decade, 1980 or 2010s for Auburn you football? You know, I, I lived through them, um, and I can tell you that Bo Jackson was absolutely incredible, and he is easily the greatest athlete of, of all time as far as what we know of, of athletes. He was amazing. Too bad his hip was messed up like it was, but the, the year – the singular year of Cam Newton was something, you know, I, I essentially quit uh, openly rooting for Auburn aggressively with Alabama people that year because it just doesn't get any better. We we won the national championship. We went undefeated. Uh, Cam Newton won the Heisman. And we came back and beat Alabama in their own stadium from what they were dancing on the sidelines at halftime. So it just simply doesn't get any better than that for an Auburn fan. So I'm a silent Auburn fan, but I don't expect it to get better than that. 
easily the Cam Newton. But as far as how it felt, the Pat Dye years were easily the best years. John, we appreciate you taking the time with us today. We got another caller on line. Hey, don't be a stranger. You know it. That was John on the line with us. Excellent call, Lance. Anything you got to say to that? Yeah, um, yeah. I thought the the, the Vanderbilt <laughs> Iran couldn't beat beat Vanderbilt. I thought that was pretty funny. I thought it was pretty 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 funny comparison. You think it's true? Uh, probably not. <laughs> or, or it I is true. Know, I, I think Vanderbilt could take. No, him. that's what I'm saying. I was like, I don't I don't think they could. I, I don't I think, hope Vanderbilt or, can take. No, him. I'm saying I don't think Iran could take Vanderbilt. I agree with you. I'm I'm, I'm right you. there with you. Dylan, do you think that they could take him? You think Vanderbilt could take Iran? I think they could take him. I hope what, so. Come on, in basketball? Yes. Yes. In football too, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll give it Vanderbilt, old Dandy Vandy over there. I, I think they I think beat Iran. I hope so. I think they could take him down, <laughs> dude. Scottie Pippen Jr. is no joke. Yeah, if they still had Dylan Disu too, that would be big. Dylan Disu's a baller. He's going to Texas, so that's 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 a Chris Beard. Have y'all seen the transfers he's got rolling in? They've got some nice got pieces. Like five or in six there. new guys coming in. They're they're gonna be a machine. I hope those guys aren't here when they move into the <laughs> SEC. I don't want any piece of that. And Shaka Smart's not there to mess it up anymore, guys. <laughs> oh man, could be something. Could be something to fear moving forward. Let's head to one last caller here, Patrick. What's up? Hey man, what's going on, guys? None much. Hey, How you let doing? me pre- let, let me preface this by saying I'm a Georgia fan. Okay, well, I, I enjoy listening. I enjoy listening to you guys. But uh, as far as this uh, debate on the, the decades, man, as a Georgia fan, I'll say it's the 2010s because we were 8-2 and two against you guys. But <laughs> to be that as it may, I'm an old guy, so I, I watched Bo and I watched Cam. Cam had the single greatest college football season in history, but Bo had the greatest career in history. So if you want to go one year, go one year. But, man, Bo was tough. Even over Herschel? Uh, man, 1A and 1B. <laughs> I ask you that because uh, just, just, to, just to poke, because I know that's the, that's the hot topic. Georgia fans are going to rep Herschel. Auburn fans are going to rep, rep Bo. Man, I wouldn't argue either way. If you put Herschel 1A and Bo 1B, I wouldn't argue, and I wouldn't the other way around either. Now that we've actually got a Georgia fan on the line, I want to ask you this question. Do you think this is the year that Georgia finally gets over the hump and wins the national title? Man, listen, I was eight years old in 1980, and uh, we were competing for the national championship in 80, 81, and 82, and I thought that was the way of life. And I keep thinking every year is the year. So, man, don't ask me that. <laughs> I'm here for it. Hey, please call back. We we love yes, all different Appreciate fan bases. Georgia, we, we that'll definitely uh, stir it up a little bit more, too, than just having Alabama and Auburn folks. So call in whenever. Absolutely. Oh, I work over in enemy territory, so I listen to you guys every day. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. That was Patrick on the line with us. Lance, last thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, you're thinking every single year is going to be the year. And you know who what? And you know what? This year could be the year, but don't ask. I, I, I love those two phone calls to wrap up the show. I thought that was awesome. It was awesome to get some some new engagement from some different fans out there. Really appreciate. I want that. it, man. Like the, we do a lot. We talk a lot of SEC. Of course, Auburn is our is a primary audience for us. We're in Auburn, Alabama. We're going to talk Auburn sports, and that's going to be a center of what we do. I graduated from Auburn. Let the cat out of the bag. Okay, you're an Auburn guy. Dylan's at Auburn right now. I mean, like all of us are Auburn guys. Partially here, but, a Cincinnati guy, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah, weird vibes there. You know, intern Star Wars over there. So close to being intern Bearcat. But, such you know, a dope name. Yeah, we're just gonna have to save that for someone else. 
that truly embodies it. But, you know, I want I want other fans to call in, though. That's what makes it fun. You know, shoot, Georgia fan, come on. If there's a Vanderbilt it. fan out there that thinks their team could beat Iran, call in. <laughs> That's how we're going to end today's show. Drive with Bill Cameron coming up after us. We'll see you tomorrow.